Man, I love weddings. I love just the whole experience of being at a wedding. I, I think about just for me, I get the chance to minister a lot of weddings as a pastor. And the whole time I'm standing there and I'm speaking to the bride and the groom and they're not listening to anything I'm saying. They're just goo goo eyes looking at each other, thinking about the honeymoon, thinking about, you know, each other and, and the bride, you know, the groom's like crying and he's not crying because he's sad. He's crying because he's happy. and and she's crying. It's just a beautiful experience to watch the bride and the groom at the wedding. And I think about the scriptures in the Bible where Jesus talks about the kind of bride that he is looking for, the bride of Christ. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Yeah, we get excited about the word of God. And the scripture says, I heard again what sounded like the shout the shout come on of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder saying praise the Lord for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns let us be glad and rejoice let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself his bride has prepared herself She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Any married people in the room this morning? Where's all the married people? Nice, a few shouts, that's good. (laughs) How many of y'all remember your wedding day? Okay, for me, my wedding day, I will never forget it. One of the most amazing moments of my life. I remember walking down this aisle and I got down and my groomsmen were behind me. The ring bearer had come down the aisle, right? The flower girls had come down. The bridesmaids were over there. I was waiting for the moment. The doors had closed and all of a sudden the music starts to play. It wasn't that music, but it was something like that music. I don't know what that song was from. That might have been Star Wars. The main point is there was this beautiful music going on that I can't even make from my mouth. And and the music was playing and the doors opened up and the light shined and in walked my bride, Ashley Hope. Man, she was radiant. She was gorgeous. She, She still is so beautiful. And she walked down that aisle with her dad and the flowers on both sides. And man, I started crying. I was so excited. I was like nervous and pacing on the inside. That's my bride. That's my bride. And I was thinking about the honeymoon moon. I was thinking about, oh man, I was so excited. And I think, man, this is what Jesus was talking about, about his bride. I think about what Ashley went through all that day to prepare for the wedding. I hadn't seen her the whole day, right? I mean, we, we decided to do pictures after the wedding. Some people do pictures before. We decided to do it after. And so all that morning, the anticipation was building and the excitement that my life was getting ready to change forever and that I was committing to this girl for the rest of my life. And so the nervousness, that excitement when she came in. And I think about how on this earth, when we decide to get married, we are committing to someone for the rest of our life. That might be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. But with Jesus, and that sounds like a lot, but with Jesus, he is committing to a marriage for eternity. 
Now, for us, we're not gonna marry someone that we're not attracted to. Like, anyone, like, you're not going to marry someone that you are unattracted to. In some way, you are attracted to them physically. You're attracted to them in their personality, their character. You like it. You think, man, I could live the rest of my life with this guy, with this girl. Did you know, here's an interesting fact. The human eye can recognize beauty in less than 13 milliseconds. The human eye recognizes beauty faster than it recognizes color. That in, in, in less than 13 milliseconds, you can decide that's attractive, that's unattractive. That is beautiful, that is ugly, right? And I'm not even talking about physical features as much as I'm talking about the way a person is. If the human eye can recognize beauty that fast and we're made in the image of God, how much faster can God recognize an attractive church, an attractive Christian. Now, let me break it down for you, make this really simple. The bride talked throughout the scriptures, also in Ephesians 5, verse 26 and 27, that bride equals the church, and the church equals you. Very simple, in emoji terms, the bride equals the church, and the church is not just a building, like Jesus isn't just coming back for buildings and structures, he's coming back for you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are the church. All right, turn to the other person that you didn't turn to and say, and you're the church too. Now listen, church, if we are the church, you and I, not a building, even though this is a nice building, Jesus is coming back for Christians that make up the church. What kind of Christians is Jesus attracted to? I imagine Jesus pulling out an iPhone and he's scrolling through Instagram and he's going through pictures and he's looking for the church. He's looking for his radiant bride. He's going, come on, I know she's in here. I know she's in here. Come on, come on, come on. <gasps> there she is. Isn't she beautiful? I wonder what Jesus is saying to the angels up in heaven about his church. Isn't my bride beautiful? It's almost time for the wedding. It's almost time. See, I truly believe we are this close to seeing Jesus return. You can feel it in the earth. You say, well, Paul, how do you know? Because all the signs are setting up for it. There will be a day where the kingdom of God, literally heaven, will 100% invade earth, where Jesus will make a new heaven, a new earth. Yes, it's exciting. Man, I get so excited. Listen to this, Revelation 21, verse 1. Revelation 21, verse one, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. So this is the consummation of the kingdom of God, that one day the entire kingdom of God will literally rule and reign on the earth. And the sea was also gone and I, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. There's coming a day where cancer will no longer be on this earth, where Alzheimer's will no longer be on this earth, where divorce will no longer be, where abuse and orphans and widows, where we will all be whole and there will be no death and no pain and no broken homes and no dysfunctional marriages. There will be complete peace. 
And so the question is, are we preparing for that? Because Jesus said, I'm coming back for a church like a bride preparing for her groom. What kind of church is Jesus coming back for? What kind of church is Jesus attracted to? I remember in college, there was this girl that I hung out with every now and then. She was kind of like a sister, you know, like you got your sisters and your brothers. And then when you start getting serious in a relationship, you got to stop talking to your sisters and your brothers. Well, she was one of those sisters. Like we were just friends. We would hang out. We would study together. But I saw no future with this girl. Well, anyways, one day she said, Paul, we need to have a DTR meeting. We need to have a DTR meeting. And I said, what is DTR meeting? <laughs> what is that? What is DTR? And she was like, define the relationship. <laughs> D, define. T, the, R, relationship. Define the relationship. I said, okay, let's define it. She's like, right here? I was like, right here, right now. She's like, we're not going somewhere. We're not gonna go to coffee and, and have a DTR. I was like, no, let's just do it right here. And she was like, okay, well, what are we? I was like, I'm a man and you're a woman. <laughs> she did not like my sarcasm. She was like, come on, Paul, what are we? What is this? Where are we headed? And I was like, I don't know. We're, we're friends. She was like, come on, come on, what are we? I was like, we're friends. She was like, we're nothing more than that. I was like, I'm sorry, we're just friends. And I could feel just the the tension. It was, it was a tough moment, but I knew that, man, I had to tell her sooner or later because I had a bride that was waiting for me. She wasn't waiting for me. I had to go get her. But I think about, <laughs> that's another story, another sermon during our relationship series. But I think about how, what if Jesus was to take you out to eat? What if he said, hey, let's go to Charleston's on 71st and Yale. Let's go to a restaurant. I want to take you to eat. I want to have a DTR with you. I want to define the relationship. And he has a table reserved for you. He orders water, classic Jesus. You taste the water. Did you change this water? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Loosen up. You're in church. But you're sitting at the table and Jesus goes, let's bypass the small talk. Mark, Mike, Jessica, Stephanie, whatever your name is, insert it. He looks at you and he says, what are we? Where are we going? What is this? Is this just a weekend thing to you? Does anybody know about us? Is this a secret relationship? Are you telling anyone about me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Does anybody at work even know that you like me? Is this a relationship where you ask everything from me, but you are not committed to give anything at all? What kind of relationship is this? Are we a daily thing or a weekend thing? And I think this is the question for the church. I think if we could see a picture from heaven of Jesus kind of leaning over the grandstands of heaven, he's going, hey, bride, hey, bride, we need to have a DTR right now in the middle of all of your election season and, and all the conversations you're having in America and all the stuff going on in the Middle East and things in China and things in India and stuff that's going on in Africa, I need to have a DTR with my bride for a moment. I need to define where this relationship is headed, specifically for the church in America, I believe. Specifically for the church here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What is Jesus looking for? What kind of bride is Jesus coming back for? 
a couple weeks ago, I was thinking about this sermon and it was just resonating in my heart. In fact, all summer long, I've been thinking about this message. I, I preached some of this while I was in Africa because God started showing, showing me this picture of a bride, this radiant, glorious, beautiful bride that he was coming back for. And he said, tell my church what kind of bride I'm coming back for. And so a couple weeks ago, I was watching wedding videos and Ashley walked into the room one night and I had my laptop open and I was crying and she was like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know, I'm really emotional. I'm watching all these wedding videos and they're just super intense. And she was like, you sound like a girl. I was like, I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I was watching the way that the groom was anticipating his bride. And I was watching how the bride was talking about how she was so excited and preparing for this day. People will do everything and anything to prepare for someone that they love. See, a relationship that's going somewhere, people will move across the country to be with that person. People will cut off old boyfriends and old girlfriends. They'll delete Facebook accounts and delete Instagram accounts because they're fully committed to that person. The question is, are we the bride of Christ truly committed to the groom that's waiting for us one day? Are we truly preparing for the wedding feast of the lamb? Because it's coming one day. It's coming and we must get ready. I want to just say one more scripture. I think about this scripture, Ephesians 5 verse 25 says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Even today as I'm preaching the word of God, your hearts and your minds are being washed. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So what kind of church is Jesus coming back for? I'm gonna give you seven quick points Seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number that it took for God to finish creation. And I know there's probably many other points, but these seven stand out in the New Testament, in the Bible, as seven things God really likes and wants to see in your life and in my life. So number one, Jesus is coming back for a faithful church. Faithful. Everybody say faithful. Faithful means dependable, committed. Faithful means I'm consistent. Faithful means in the same way in a marriage and the world that doesn't even go to church, doesn't even believe in Jesus, they are craving for this word faithfulness to be seen. I think about a movie that came out years ago called Runaway Bride. And it was about this bride that every time she got close to getting married, she'd start running away because she couldn't think of the idea of being committed long-term to someone. She couldn't think of the idea of staying in a marriage. And so every time she got close to getting married, she took off running. She'd jump on a horse or climb out a window. And I think about, man, what is it like in your life? How's your faithfulness score with God? What is, what is your uh, Bible reading like? What is, what is going to church like for you? What's it like for you to give to God? Do you only practice faithfulness when it's convenient when it's easy, when it's comfortable, or is faithfulness part of your everyday life? For me, every day, I'm faithful to my wife because I'm in a covenant with her. Whether I feel like it or not doesn't even matter because love is not based on feelings. Love is based on a decision, a choice, that I am faithfully committed to you. Are you faithful to God? Revelation 2, verse 10, Jesus was talking to the churches and he said, some of you are gonna go to prison 
because of what you believe. Some of you will experience persecution. But those who remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Remain faithful even when you're facing death. Psalm 101 says that God is looking for faithful people, that he wants faithful people that will partner with him. Matthew 25, verse 23, Jesus is giving a parable about the kingdom of God. And he says, there's going to be a day where God will look at each of you and he will say, well done, my good. And let's say the word together, faithful servant. For you have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will make you ruler over many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. See, God's coming back for a church for Christians who are practicing faithfulness, who are faithful in giving, who are faithful in being committed to church, who are faithful in being committed to their Bible reading, to prayer. And I think, man, it's not about whether we feel like it or not. It's about I've decided to follow Jesus. Now, here's the good news. God's faithful even when we're faithless. Even when we miss it, he still remains faithful. But when we decide I'm gonna follow Jesus, what attracts Jesus more than anything is just sticking with it, just being faithful, just following after him. God's more into faithfulness than he is into fanciness. And the question I have for some of us, I, I remember going to ORU, it was so easy to not be committed to a church. So many of my friends, they'd say, well, Paul, I'm trying to visit every church in Tulsa throughout my four years of being here. And I thought, man, you're gonna go to every single church and you're not gonna make any roots, you're not gonna sink down deep, you're not gonna be planted anywhere. And the way that we practice faithfulness is by being planted in a local church and saying, you know what? I'm gonna let my roots sink down deep and whether I feel like it or not, on Sunday mornings, I'm going to church. And I'm not gonna be flaky about it. I'm gonna be dependable. I'm gonna be there. I wanna worship God. And see, I'm telling you, that's something that's not only good for your relationship with God, but that's something to cultivate for your future relationships. Number two, servant leadership. A characteristic that Jesus is looking in his bride, looking for from his church, is the heart of a servant. Matthew 20, verse 24, the disciples of Jesus, they were saying, hey, Jesus, um, can some of us be like some of your top dogs? Can we sit next to you in the kingdom of God? Can we be known as like the leaders of, of heaven? And Jesus said, hold on. Let me tell you what you're asking for. If you wanna be a leader, here's how it's gonna look. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over the people and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it will be different. It must be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the greatest things we can do with our life is serve the cause of the kingdom of God. Serve the local church. Get plugged in. Help someone else. Help someone who's in need. This last week, I took my son, Liam, who's two and a half years old, to a nursing home, actually to a, uh, a memory care place where, where elderly people were. And my Nana is there. And Liam said, why are we here? He's at a place now where he's asking questions. Daddy, why are we here? And I said, Liam, we're here to love on people, specifically your Nana, your great grandma. We walked into the room and I went over to Nana. I just began to pray for her, tell her how, how, how we're doing, talk to her about life, 
I kissed her on the forehead. He's watching me the whole time, and I didn't even have to push my little boy. He followed my example, and he crawled up on the bed. He grabbed Nana's hand, and he kissed her hand. Then he got a little closer and looked at me, and then he kissed her forehead. And I think, man, I'd rather leave a legacy of showing my next, my kids how to serve older people, how to serve younger people, how to love on people that are hurting. That's one of the greatest legacies we can leave. Yes, it's good to leave money for your kids. Yes, that's a nice thing. But I think one of the greatest things we can leave for the next generation is an example of servanthood, an example of serving other people that are in need. Here's some ways you can do it, specifically at Victory. This is a great season for us to serve in the local church. We need your help in our Victory Kids Care. We need your help in Children's Church. We need your help at the youth group. If you have a heart to mentor teenagers, or maybe you're someone who loves to greet people, man, we would love for you to serve in the parking lot team, as an usher, as a greeter. You could even serve in our hospital ministry. You know, a, a person that has made an impact in my life by showing an example of servanthood is my in-laws, David and Terry McAuliffe. 15 years ago, they even longer, they started volunteering in the hospital ministry at this church. And every week, even though they had a business, they were full-time realtors selling houses, they would go and visit St. Francis and St. John. They'd call up the church and say, who's in the hospital that we can go pray for? Who's over at the cancer treatment center that we can go and spend some time with and encourage? They volunteered their time to love on other people. Those are the kind of moments that go with you into eternity. Those are the kind of seeds that go with you into heaven. Live to serve. Jesus told his disciples to do this. This weekend, we have tables in the lobby of how you can get plugged in this fall and start serving in the church. And you might look around and say, Paul, this is a big church. You already probably have your bases covered. No, because we're a big church, we have a lot more bases to cover. We need your help. Turn to the person next to you and say, we need you. Be part of the local church. You know, this weekend, I told my wife, I said, I would rather be preaching on my birthday than be anywhere else because I love the local church. I'd rather be in church than be anywhere else. I think this is the best place to be. I think this is the greatest thing going on in the earth is the local church bringing hope and healing and compassion and kindness and changing people's lives. Be part of that this year. Get involved. See, I think we miss out on spiritual strength when we become consumers instead of being contributors. When we just come to church and say, what's he got for me this week? I heard that story already. I've already heard this sermon a million times. <laughs> Get over yourself, man. God needs you not to be sitting in your seat the whole time consuming a billion messages, but living these messages out, serving your community, serving in children's church, serving in the youth group. People who serve are happier people. Have you noticed that? People who serve, they're a little more joyful with their life. See, the less we serve, the more aggravated and annoyed we get and irritated by everyone around us. Those greeters, they're always happy. You know, those parking lot people, they're always smiling at us. I just wish they'd stop smiling. Well, why don't you start smiling? Did you know smiling lengthens your lifespan? I just throw that out there. Some of us, the older we get, we get to this place where we think we've graduated servanthood. We say, well, Paul, you know, I, I put in my time. I served when I was a teenager. I served when I was a kid. You don't ever graduate servanthood. 
You don't graduate. As long as you're breathing, you're called to serve. Jesus is coming back for a church that's not selfish, but a church that's selflessly serving others. All throughout the scriptures, this is what Jesus talks about. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Number three, Jesus is coming back for a sincere church. Sincere. First Timothy 1.5, Paul told Timothy, he said, um, Paul, uh, he said, Timothy, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart. The word pure is another word for sincere. With a clear conscience, one more word that deals with sincerity, clear conscience, pure heart, and genuine faith. God's not coming back for someone who's living a double life, who's pretending to be someone that they're not. How crazy would it be to come to your wedding, get all the way down to the altar, and you're about to marry someone, and all of a sudden they start to pull off this mask, and you're like, oh my goodness, you're not who I thought you were. You're someone totally different. Can you imagine how that would be with God? Revelation 3 verse 1 says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You have this facade, you have this fraud uh, uh, expression of, of someone that you're really not. You act like you're alive, but behind closed doors, you're dead. You act like you care about me, but when you leave this church, you don't have anything good to say about those people. And I think Jesus is coming back for sincere hearts. He can spot a fraud from a mile away. He sees through it all. David said in Psalm 51, verse six, what you're after, God, is a truthful heart from the inside out. Truthful, sincere, genuine. I am the same guy off the stage that I am on this stage. And I know sometimes my, my quirkiness might rub people the wrong way, but I would rather be guilty of being authentic than be accused 20 years later of being a fraud. I'd rather you leave because I'm authentic than you stick around because I'm pretending to be someone that I'm not. Let the chips fall where they may. I'm gonna be who I am. And I, I think about how God's looking for us not to pretend to be someone that we're not, but to just be sincere. If you don't have it all together, don't act like you do. If you need to go down to an altar call, do it. Why wait to be humiliated by God when you stand in front of him in eternity than just humiliate yourself by going down to an altar call while you're still alive and saying, God, I need some help right now. I'm struggling. I could really use some peace. I could really let go of some addictions in my life. Sincerity. That's what David realized God is after. Number four, compassion. Keys, I want you to come up. Compassion. Compassion. This is one of my favorite words. Oh my goodness. Waking you up this morning. Compassion. I love this word. Probably one of my favorite words in the world, compassion. You know, there was a survey that went out to our city and they said, what do you think about victory? This was years ago. They said, what, what comes to your mind when you think of the church victory on 77th and Lewis? And the word that kept popping up in people's minds is compassion, compassion, compassion. I thought, God, I'm so thankful to be part of a church that's known for compassion. I know that's my mom and dad and so many other people in the early 80s that decided we may not be the coolest church in town, but we're going to be the most compassionate church in town. We're going to reach into the north side 
into the south, the east, the west. We're gonna go into apartment complexes. We're gonna help single parent moms. We're gonna visit nursing homes. We're gonna go into the hospitals. We may not have all the coolest gizmos and gadgets, (laughs) but man, we are gonna ooze with compassion. We are going to overflow. Isaiah 58, God was talking to the people of Israel and they had been doing this fast. They had put on sackcloth and ashes and pretended to be exhausted from starving their bodies of food. So they were like super putting on this emotional outward appearance of fasting. And God says, that's not what I want. That's not the kind of fast that I'm after. The kind of fast that I'm after is to free those who are wrongly imprisoned, to lighten the burden of those who work for you, to let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. You think God's after a 21-day Daniel fast? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with fasting, but that's not the main thing that God's interested in. God's interested in Christians walking in compassion. What good is it if you go on the Daniel fast and you're like, sweet, I lost 10 pounds. You were doing it to lose weight. We all knew. (laughs) see some of us we think man if I do a Daniel fast then I'm really tight with God but God says listen and some of y'all like I don't know what a Daniel fast is sorry my Christianese lingo got in there a fast is when you give up food and, and you do all these things to starve yourself to get closer to God but God said more importantly than you fasting and fasting is not bad so don't don't hear me wrong here there's nothing wrong with fasting but God said I really wanna see your compassion for people. I really wanna see you help those that are hurting. He says, share your food with the hungry, man. If you got an extra meal, give it to someone who's hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need some. Don't hide from relatives who need your help. How many of you have had some relatives in the last few years need your help? Yeah? Has it been easy at times to help them? No. Is it easy to take care of your parents? Is it easy to take care of maybe your father with Alzheimer's? Is it, is it easy to reach out and help that sister or that brother that's financially hurting? It's never easy to do the right thing. But the kind of bride that Jesus is coming back for is selflessly moving with compassion, even when it hurts, helping those that are in need. Share your food with the hungry. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. You want to know the answer for whatever it is you're facing? Freedom from depression? Start reaching out, helping other people. You want to get out of that that, uh, just feeling of, of spiritual dehydration? Start reaching out and serving other people. Share your food with the hungry. He says, your salvation will come. Your godliness will come. You will, I'll protect you. What an incredible promise from God. He says, you'll call on my name and I will hear you and I will answer you and say, yes, here I am. You'll have God's ears. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Can I just say this? Get off the gossip train. If it's not a good conversation, leave it. If you're talking bad about other people, don't expect to get blessed from God. God says, guys, more important than you doing a fast, I care about you treating people nice. And then he goes on to say this, feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Your light will shine from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. 
The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry, restoring your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. See, this is the key to having vitality. This is the key to staying alive, staying fresh. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. You will be known as the rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. This is what God's looking for, a church that's moving with compassion. I remember my senior year at ORU, we had to write a senior paper, 40 pages long. And my paper was called A Church for Everyone. My professor laughed when he got it. He said, this doesn't exist. I said, yes, it does. It's across the street. He said, Paul, you can't have a church for everyone. You got to have a target audience. He said, you just can't reach everyone. I said, you know, I've grown up in our church and I've watched my parents reach the rich and the poor, the white and the black, Hispanic, Native American, Asian, Indian. I've seen them reach people that have lived in church for 30 years and people who just got out of prison three days ago. I think there's a possibility that the church that moves with compassion can reach all people. That's the kind of church I wanna build. I want to be a church where Republicans and Democrats can sit in the same room and come down to the same altar and worship the same God and grow. I want to be a church that allows saints and sinners to enter into the room. And when the gospel is preached, no matter how bad their sin is, and sometimes we are guilty for classifying certain sins as higher than other sins. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. And you were a sinner before you became a saint. Don't forget it. I was too. Thank God for the amazing grace that he gave us. Saved a wretch like me. And as we come to church, God begins to change us. He begins to give us the morals and the convictions and the values of the scriptures. But we want people to belong even before they believe. We want to be a church that invites people to come and find community with compassion that we reach out. Last week, it really touched my heart. I'm almost done, but I was doing the water baptism call and one of the young guys in our church wanted to get water baptized and he's handicapped and has a few different disabilities. And he said, I wanna get baptized. He told his parents, I, I want, you know, I want that. And so his dad carried him to the water. And some of y'all were here as he was baptized. He came out of the water. The family was smiling, was cheering. He was shouting, hey! And the, and the church was just clapping, cheering for him. This is what it's all about, church. This is the kind of church that Jesus leans over heaven and goes, that's my bride. That's my bride. I think Jesus cries when he sees the church really moving with compassion and loving all people despite what they came in here with. Number five, he's coming back for a united church. Unity requires community. I wanna encourage you this fall to get connected in one of our groups. In the lobby this morning, we've got tables where you can find out information about all the groups that are starting and kicking off September 11th. We're gonna have a great service in here that morning and then later that night, our Sunday night groups will kick back up. And we've got groups for all ages, all seasons of life, if you're married or single, even if you're divorced and you're just looking to connect with people, we've got groups for everyone. 
those groups kick back up then. But I think unity is such a, a key for the church in these days. Acts chapter two, verse 42 says they were in one accord. They were sharing meals together. They were united. In verse 46, it says they overflowed with generosity, that there was joy and they were worshiping together and hanging out in each other's houses. This is the kind of church Jesus is looking for. You know, unity requires forgiveness, not getting easily offended, not holding on to offenses and saying, well, I'm just gonna find a place that won't offend me. Everywhere you go, people will offend you because you take you with you everywhere you go and you offend people. So let's do this. Let's be the church that's quick to forgive and slow to get offended. And when we do get offended, rather than going on Facebook and telling the whole world about it, what if we went to the person that offended us and said, hey, I need to forgive you because I've been holding on to an offense. What if we actually lived out the scriptures? <laughs> what if we did that? You know, the Bible says that unity commands the blessing of God. As we get united, this church is gonna explode and multiply and we'll add more services and more campuses. And I'm telling you, the key is just being in unity. That's why I love grabbing hands and lifting them high and saying our confession together. It's a sign of unity. And unity is key in beating the devil. Number six, he's coming back for a church that's fully alive, fully alive. Matthew 16, verse 18 says, Now I tell you this, Peter, that you are, Peter, a rock, and this is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Jesus is coming back for a church that's fully alive, that's energetic, that's moving in power, that's bold and sharing the gospel with their city, going on Hillsong TV, going on BET. Come on, somebody. One of these days, I'm going to get on BET and MTV and NBC and ABC and CBS and PBS for the kids, too. <laughs> Come on, he's coming back for a church that's unafraid and unashamed to go public with the Holy Spirit and to tell the world, Jesus is coming back soon. <sighs> he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's asking you. I just imagine... <sighs> It's like that, you've seen it on the movies or maybe you've seen pictures, but that boyfriend that's so excited, he's got the ring in his pocket, it's burning a hole in his pocket, he just can't wait to pull it out, get on one knee and say, will you marry me? I imagine Jesus is so excited for his church. And I know as guys, this is hard for us to imagine because we're like, dude, I'm not wearing a dress. I know, I'm not saying you have to. But what I'm saying is the relationship between God and his church he loves us beyond our comprehension. We can't even think on the level that God thinks. It's so much deeper. It, it, it goes further beyond the love that a boy has for a girl or that a girl has for a boy. It goes further beyond the love of human affection. It's so amazing how much God loves his church and he's calling his church to be devoted. He's calling his church to prepare. And the seventh point right here, the final point is holy. He's coming back for a holy church. He's coming back for a church that's set apart. The word holy means set apart, set apart. 
I tried to convince Ashley this weekend, since it was my birthday, I tried to get her to be a prop in my sermon. And I said, babe, will you wear your wedding dress this weekend? And she was like, Paul, can I just be a normal person? I just want to go to church in normal clothes. And I don't know if I want to wear my wedding dress. I said, well, can someone else wear your wedding dress? She was like, no, no one else can wear my wedding dress. Okay, all right. But I think about this. I don't know why I told you that story. Jesus is coming back for a holy church, a bride that's set apart just for him, that's saying, I'm all yours. God, I'm all yours. Holiness comes from God first. You can't make yourself holy at first. You've got to surrender to God, repent of your sins, and he cleanses you. He makes you holy. From then, he gives you this word called grace. Grace empowers you to walk in holiness, to walk in purity. And when you miss it, and we all do, I'm sure some of you missed it this morning, driving to church, got a little angry, impatient, frustrated with people in the parking lot. But holiness gives us the invitation to repent to God, receive forgiveness, and to stay in that place of not condemnation, but conviction. Conviction is a healthy word. It's not a bad thing. When you feel sorry and you go, I think I did something I shouldn't have done. That's good. When you feel that, that means you are close to God. See, when we become numb and we just sin and we don't even feel bad for it, we're in a dark place. But when we sin and we go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have gotten so angry. I shouldn't have looked at that. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, forgive me. That's a beautiful place to be because he's coming back for a church that's wholly devoted to him. Imagine being at your wedding You've walked down the aisle, you're waiting for your bride, you're standing at the altar, you're so excited, she's about to come through the door, all of a sudden the doors bust open, she's walking down the aisle, the lights are shining on her, you're so amazed at her beauty. You're looking at her eyes, she's looking at your eyes, but then all of a sudden something happens, watch this. Her eyes shift from your eyes and she looks this way. And she leans over to this row and you're watching, you're going, wait, 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 what are you doing? And she picks up a guy off this row and she goes, come on, come on, come on. And she goes, just one more. She goes over to this row and she gets another guy. She goes, oh, hold on one second. She goes over here, she grabs another. You're like, with each guy she grabs, your heart's breaking. What? I'm, I'm down here by myself. I've given myself fully for you. I am wholly devoted to you. I have no other girls up here with me. It's, it's only you. I've cut off all the other Facebook people. I've stopped talking to all the other exes. There is no one else. And you're watching your bride as she picks up one after another. She gets down and finally she's got all seven of her other grooms. She says, okay, I'm ready. And you're going, wait, wait, wait. No, no, I want you and only you. And the bride says, well, I got to have him. I mean, I love to gamble. I just love gambling. I, it's my money. Like, you didn't think that me marrying you was going to merge our bank accounts, did you? This is my money. It's not like I'm tithing or we're going to give to you. I'm not, I can't be that wholly devoted to you. And, and I got to hold on to my worry. I mean, I love worrying. That's what I do every day. And, and I've got to hold on to lust because this is what I do when you're not around. And, and, and these are my private things that I do when no one's watching. And I got to hold on to this and, and I got to hold on to my past. 
because you don't know what's happened in my past and I need my past because if things don't work out between me and you, I wanna have a backup plan. And I imagine Jesus standing there like a broken-hearted groom, just going, this isn't the, the wedding that I was waiting for. This isn't the wedding that I dreamed of. Man, I remember having a nightmare in college and it was a nightmare. And I woke up and I, I was overwhelmed. I still remember it 11 years later. And there's very few dreams that I can remember in my lifetime, but this is one. I was at my wedding and the wrong person was walking down the aisle. And I was like overwhelmed with just fear. Like, no, 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 that's not my bride. That's not the one I'm supposed to be with. There was nothing wrong with this person. I knew this person, but this was not the person I was supposed to be with. I remember waking up from that nightmare going, God, I want to make sure I marry the right person. I don't want to marry the wrong person. And I thought about maybe what God would have said back to me. I want to make sure I'm marrying the right bride. I'm coming back for a bride that's wholly devoted to me. I wonder if Jesus is going, come on, guys. Time's running out. Let's stop playing games. Let's stop playing church. Let's be holy. Let's be faithful. Let's be fully alive. Your experience of revival is not my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Jesus is looking at his church and he's saying, guys, wake up. I'm coming back soon. Don't put your spiritual life in coast. Don't stay in neutral. Now's not the time to sit back and retire spiritually. Now's the time to lean in and go all in for Christ. I want us to stand to our feet across this room. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Across this room, I truly believe that God's speaking. The end of the Bible, Revelation 22, ends with a call. Before I read Revelation 22, let me throw up Revelation 3, verse 11. This is what it says. I'm coming soon. Jesus is speaking this. Let it just send chills down your back. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. See, we just watched the Olympics. They ran for gold medals that will tarnish and fade. They won't go into eternity. But one day there will be a crown of life that will be with you in eternity. And he goes on, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now let me go to the final chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. Throw that scripture up. Look, I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, maybe you're here right now and you say, Paul, there's things I need to repent of. There's areas in my life that I need the Holy Spirit to work on. I want you to just lift your hand up all across this room. Maybe you're not right with God. Today, you wanna get right with God. Yeah, hands going up from the front to the back. Maybe you've been a Christian all your life, but you've just gotten lax in your walk with God. And today you're saying, man, I, I need to start preparing like a bride prepares for the groom. I'm gonna invite every hand that was just raised to just leave your chair and come down to this altar with me right now. You're saying, God, I'm deciding today that I am gonna start living with a greater urgency, a greater sense of preparation. I'm gonna start repenting. I'm gonna walk in holiness and purity and faithfulness. Lord, I'm gonna live fully alive in my purpose. I'm gonna live to serve. Lord, I'm going to be sincere. Lord, I'm going to be authentic. Lord, I'm gonna let your Holy Spirit work in me. I'm gonna walk in compassion. I'm gonna reach out to those that are hurting. I'm gonna use my life to advance the kingdom of God. Yeah, keep clapping. People are coming all the way from the back. Let's sing that song, Daniel. Yours, I'll stand. Jesus, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. Jesus, I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. some of y'all might be visiting today but I'm going to just say you're part of this church today I want to challenge us that this fall we would go all out for Jesus that we would treat this going into September next week is the first weekend of September let's let's commit this fall to the Lord I believe by Christmas things will be vastly different in your life and in this church Bill Winston said that at word explosion and I believe spiritually things and emotionally, relationally, in your business, economically, things will be vastly different for the better. If you will be faithful to God and say, God, I'm going to stop playing games. Lord, I'm going to get real with you. When you get real with God, God gets real with you. 
I want to challenge all of us in this room that we would invite someone this week to church. Invite someone this week, say, hey, would you come to church with me next Sunday at 11 a.m. at Victory? There are so many people in our city that are lost, that are hurting, that are searching for hope, searching for community, searching for authenticity. Man, bring them to church with you next Sunday. Bring them. That we would, as a church, take personal responsibility that we're not going to wait till Jesus comes back to start telling the world about Jesus. That this week, we would go public with our faith on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. In fact, this last week, I had a chance where I invited a guy to church. And he said, I'm not going anywhere. He said, I'm about to retire. And financially, I'm hurting. I might have to work more after I retire. I don't know. He said, I need church. I need a community of people. I need faith. Someone's waiting for your invitation this week. And we have invite cards after I dismiss. You can grab invite cards at the end of the aisles or out on the kiosks. You could stop at the tables this weekend, plug in, start serving in the youth group, start serving in kids. But I want to challenge all of us that we would take this message to heart. Let's pray this together. Say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I repent of my sins. And I receive your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. Be my Lord and Savior. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. I want to live holy, set apart for you, God. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give God praise. I believe he's doing something in your heart this morning. Lord, I thank you for your peace. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I speak favor. I speak, uh, uh, Lord Jesus, just strength this week to walk this message out. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless.